James. Hey, Duncan. How are you, dude? I'm doing all right, mate. I, I think I'm at the point now where I'm kind of like starting to check out and like everything's now a problem for 2023 and I'm ready to go <laughs> I have the opposite. A mountain of work. <laughs> I can't see a way to get done. And unfortunately, thinking that perhaps this break that I was hoping to get around Christmas, New Year is not going to be much of a break. Uh, it's also 6 p.m. on Sunday in New York. I have to fly back to Australia tomorrow, which is good and bad, but I'm, there's all these things I want to get done. And it's just like, yeah, I'm not in any kind of glide path out. I'm in the opposite stress about getting stuff done mode. Hopefully this is a good outlet for you, Duncan, that we can discuss something to take your mind off everything else. Hopefully. All right, so today we were sort of talking about this. The premise which we decided you know, normally updates over the podcast is, and I've written it this way, but James can um, write it another way. The strongest understanding of reality is the foundation upon which everything else is built. And I suppose I didn't used to, you know, 10 years ago, attribute as much time to trying to understand reality as I believe I should have with hindsight. I was more about trying to build solutions. But as they say, diagnose before you prescribe. And to me, I think I kind of spend maybe equal parts trying to understand reality or diagnose and equal parts trying to build solutions to make, you know, reality hopefully level up, uh, whether it's my, under, you know, way to help with problems or whatever. Whereas 10 years ago, I kind of felt that you understood reality or something <laughs> and you, you just kind of like, it was obvious and it was, you know, this objective thing uh, and that, you know, you should build solutions to make reality better. Um, but now I feel that, yeah, there's so many times where my base understanding of reality has been off and the mm. solution is built on quicksand mm. that, you know, you're like, oh, my God, if I had spent more time at the beginning trying to figure out the reality or <laughs> what is the beginning, understanding that reality shifts. Like, even if I somehow had a perfect understanding of some problem space today, it would be different tomorrow. Maybe only a tiny bit different, like 0.1%. But if you, if you wait 10 years, it's probably like 50% different. And so, I don't know, think about pre-iPhone to now post-iPhone and how information travels. Like you might have had a good understanding of how information goes through the you know economy or 20 years ago and that's defunct it's like 10 percent useful now anyways what's your thoughts on the premise james yeah so i think the word i take away from this or the, the key phrase is how do we how can we better diagnose our reality or our understanding of reality uh, and so for me what's helpful is i like to go to the edges or to the extremes because then i can try and piece out whether there's a line there. Um, and that also, for me, creates the the highest distinction of whether something's working well or not. So what brought all of this up for me is I feel like, um, at least relevant in my sphere of awareness right now, there's quite a few individuals um, in the public sphere who, um, myself at least, have put on some form of pedestal in terms of like, are these people like insanely um, good at what they do or, you know, some level of, uh, you know, uh, gifted or, or intelligence. And these people are the likes of, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried, who we just talked about, um, you know, Kanye, you know, lyrical wordsmith genius, uh, and then Elon Musk. So each of these people have gone through this, you know, this passage of being insanely successful in their area of pursuit, Kanye music, Elon cars and rockets, Sam Bankman-Fried, apparently you know crypto trading for the time being but now you're seeing this all start to unravel around them and so my question is like what was it that made these people super successful was it their ability to navigate reality or to diagnose 
or was it something else? Yeah, see, I think this is maybe a starting point, but it's not necessarily somewhere I feel like it's dwelling too long on and trying to understand oh, yeah, like gay or, or SBF, et cetera. Um, I feel like it's, it's hard. So to me, this is one of the things, basically trying to, so, so some places there is an objective third-party measure about whether or not you have made progress. So as an example, how much does it cost for a car to be able to travel, you know, one kilometre if you're manufacturing it, right? So there's like, I don't know, the, 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 the car might have a million miles as its life cycle. And how much does it cost to manufacture the car and then to fuel the car, whether it's with, you know, petrol or energy across that million miles? And so that's what they're aiming for Tesla's is a million miles, whereas a previous ICE car, internal combustion engine, might need to have a rebuild of the engine of 150,000 uh, miles. Um, and so if you can lower the cost per you know mile, then you've done well. Like this is objective. So there are some areas where there's an objective third party measure, but there's most of life where there's a subjective you know, <laughs> thing. Um, and so as an example, like I don't know if there's a thing like, you know, what Xi Jinping can look at or Putin, like is the you know country running well? You could say that GDP growth has gone up, but that's still a fuzzy metric. But you might have people that are very, very unhappy or whatever else it is, and that there is about to be revolution uh, in terms of government. Um, and I don't know there's a good metric to measure revolution. Maybe you can call it people protesting in the streets in China. Um, and so to me, the second major strategy is, well, you need to kind of have people give you feedback. So there's looking at third-party independence and there's people giving you feedback. And then you also kind of need to, instead of this being an objective measure, there are subjective measures where you can go and speak to people and you can get kind of like surveys or whatever else it is. But you can see that, I don't know, let's say what they predict it's going to happen in an election <laughs> those surveys haven't necessarily shown to be that you know you know reliable so in other words i think understanding reality is crucial to being able to build solutions to make reality better but it's just really difficult yeah i like agree <laughs> and i think where i was where i was leaning towards early on in thinking on this topic was is it as simple as being able to have multiple viewpoints or perspectives to bounce your own off of in order to gain a greater understanding of a particular idea or view of the world. But I think like just hearing thoughts of, you know, what you would think someone like Vladimir Putin would be going through with, with respect to the Ukraine. It's not, I don't know if it's as simple as that because I, I mean, I listened to um, on, um, Oh God, what's his name? Lex Friedman podcast. He interviewed Fiona Hill, who was one of the most preeminent translators in the White House, going all the way back to George W. Bush. She'd been in room with Vladimir Putin more than a dozen times. And like basically, he's not like he's just doing this all on his own. He's not just making his own decisions. He talks to people as well. So is there doing is there get gaining additional perspectives done well? Or is it a matter of it's actually a lot more complicated than that. Yeah, um, they say success is an intoxicant. Mm. So if you do well at something, you then believe in yourself more. And then if you do well at something, others kind of respect you more or whatever, right? And so left unchecked, success can often lead to failure because overbelief in yourself means that your view of reality becomes increasingly distorted because those around you say, 
what you want to hear because they're sucking up the power or think, well, whatever Duncan or Vladimir Putin has said doesn't make sense, but I don't understand why. And he's got a very good track record, long track record. So perhaps there's something I don't know, as in why it doesn't make sense to me is not because it doesn't make sense. It's because I don't get it. And so to me, this is where I think you can see the sort of downfall, you know, there are people that get more successful and they're just surrounded by yes men. You know, there's a very famous, well, it's not very famous, but there's that South Park episode about Kanye and there people basically just only telling Kanye what he wants to hear <laughs> and not pointing out when he's saying things that are kind of silly. Um, and so to me, I think if there's like, you know, the problem space, there's the known, you see it and you have a good reflection of reality. There's the ego distortion, you see it, but your reflection of reality is meaningfully distorted. And so you have an incorrect understanding and then there's blind spot, a component of the problem space that you don't know. And so to me, I try to spend a lot of time at work trying to get to an 80% plus understanding of the problem space, which means maybe 10% ego distortion, 10% blind spot. And because the problem space is not static, like for instance, I spent a lot of time looking at schools, say New York education system, it, if I somehow could understand it all today, which is not possible, it's going to be different tomorrow. And it's just slowly changing. And so knowing it all is not very possible, I think, but not spending a huge amount of effort to try to have a good understanding of reality is, I think, going to cause you to build solutions that are actually not necessarily helpful, but harmful. Mm. I, I, I think this, this idea of um, you know, success as an intoxicant almost can, you know, in the beginning, what well, like success seems to be the the output of some form of, um, you know, well-performed execution. But then over time, that will then start to distort, it could start to distort your reality field more and more. And I think that's probably what a lot of us thought when Elon first bought Twitter. We thought like, here is, um, you know, Car and Rocket Man coming in thinking he can run a social media company, but as time goes on, it seems like it's not so much he always knew what he was doing, but the way that he operates has, in some ways, transferability. Uh, and I would think it might actually be somewhere an ability to not allow this ego to distort your field too much. And I think that's actually a really, like I've got no privileged access to the way Elon thinks. So I've got no idea how this has actually been played out behind closed doors. All I can do is look at the results that he seems to be generating, which is a radical shift from what Twitter has been six months ago over the last six years. Um, and it's still working. Like a lot of people expected after 75% of the work, workforce getting culled that it would shut down or that the, um, the site would go down, uh, but that hasn't happened. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think there's a difference between being insanely successful in one area and allowing that to intoxicate your worldview and having a framework or a mindset that doesn't allow for that ego to overly distort your field. Yeah, I think I've come to believe that if you try really hard, you can normally have somewhat subjective third party metrics mm. and that if this is the case you don't you know your ability to understand reality is a lot stronger mm. so to give you an example spacex cost per ton to orbit this is as objective as possible right in tesla they can distribute decision making massively because what they need to do is have 
higher quality, you know, pieces like lower tolerance at lower cost. So if you can make a piece with less variability or, you know, higher tolerance and at lower cost, don't need approval, right? Go ahead and do it. Um, so this can distribute things. And we can talk about how I think there actually are conceivably third-party metrics which you can use for Twitter. But so as an example, in the case of Ed Rollo, let's just say I'm thinking about seventh grade mathematics in the US at the moment. There are some tests which do not cover everything, but I think the US state test for seventh grade, or the New York state test as an example, is about 80% of what you would hope a seventh grader should know for real world mathematics. And that's a bloody good representation. So if you are able to help improve outcomes on the state test, it's very likely 80% correlation that you have improved outcomes for real world mathematics for students. And so if this is possible, I don't know, like in some places, again, cost of tons to orbit is literally 100% of the goal and 100% objective. Well, I think I've got an objective measure, which is the state test, which might be 90% accurate for 80% of the problem space. Now, that's not, you know, 100% of the problem space. It's not 100% accurate, like t cost per ton to orbit. But it's a lot better than nothing, just making it up. And so to me, I've come to believe that you can try to create these. Now, this shouldn't be all that you look at, unless you can have one which is like cost per ton to orbit, like SpaceX, right? Um, in a lot of places, the world is less definitive, more subjective, you know, but that doesn't mean that you have to have some oracle. Um, so we can go through like iPhone as an example, you know, in my opinion, about how you can use somewhat objective third-party metrics to try to see whether it's an improvement or not. But I do believe, and I've come to believe, that if you do the work, you can try to find a third-party objective measure, which I often call a high-resolution destination internally at work, which can navigate or, or, or create your north framework. So you need to be able to point north and balance trade-offs. And one of the best strategies I have to do that is to define a north that is, yes, somewhat fuzzy, and yes, probably not all of what north is, but if you can get to 80% and 90% confidence that 80% that is north, you're doing pretty well. Yeah, so I think if you can bring in third-party objective measures to help steer some, you know, idea that you have or some subjective view of the world i i agree net net that would definitely be helpful but i think that's supremely hard to do and maybe I that's why i think it was but i think it's possible for almost everything yeah it's I, like i agree and um like i guess what i'm trying to to grapple with is is what do you need around that so that because i i think you know this this model with tesla how it's based, it's built around principles rather than um, bureaucracy and management and approvals and all those different kinds of things. But they have north, like if it, when you're so clear mm. that if you have made a higher quality part, i.e. lower variation at lower cost, it's inarguable that that's better. So yeah. It's inarguable that it's better. Um, and so like there's the, the principle or the metric itself, but then there's execution around that. And I think for me, human ego always finds a way of getting in the way so one of the things that has always no, one of the thing that has um been referred back to for me in a, a long time is when i first started in you know online e-commerce nearly 10 years ago everyone assumed that Maya and david jones were just going to come and 
like completely blow us all out of the water. Like, thoughts there, Duncan? I mean, I don't know if that's fair. I mean, like when when the internet came along. So, for instance, you know, in Australia there was Fairfax and you know the Age and Sydney Morning Herald, and they had the job classifieds, the car classifieds, the housing classifieds, and some people thought that you know they would own them. But then you had Seek, you know, jobs, carsales.com, cars, you know. Um, realestate.com, housing. So they lost their, quote, rivers of gold, which was their bottleneck. And so I feel that I'm not sure everyone assumed that the existing retailers like Meyer and David Jones would be the dominant players instead of things like whatever the iconic where you used to work or, or other things. And so to me, I think it's actually been more the opposite. And this is the innovators dilemma from Clayton Christensen, that yeah. the incumbents have been less likely to get into the new, uh, you know, or to maintain leadership as you have a new paradigm. Yeah, well, so that's what eventuated and that's what we found out. But the, the reason is that at the very beginning of the, the iconic um, life, every single person in the business, including leadership, and then a lot of people inside the industry were all thinking, like, why wouldn't someone like David Jones and Meyer just come along and just do this better than you do? And it doesn't make them right. It doesn't mean that um, that was the expectation, but that was what everybody was worried about at the time. Now, it seems obvious in hindsight, but that's the lesson I'm trying to draw from here, which is, well, it, was, um, it wasn't the case because there was a lot of um, embedded incentives in the old structure for companies like Myers and David Jones because they had North Star metrics that were opposed to online sales. So a lot of the senior management in, in Maya had sales per square foot. And so if anything took sales away from that metric, they would stop it and they would get in the way of um, wanting to invest further in these other e-commerce areas. So they actually had a North Star metric that um, infringed upon or like hindered their ability to adapt and innovate. But that was the point I was trying to get to. So I can see how it seems like in retrospect, yes, innovative dilemma or um, incumbents are the ones who are usually disruptive. But at the time, it doesn't seem that obvious. And that's what everybody would think about. But now that we can see how it all played out, it makes a lot more sense. Yeah, so I think north. You need without a metric, anything can be north. If you don't know where you're going, anywhere can get you there, or or nowhere is going to get you there. You know, really. And so to me, yeah, you, you've got these metrics, and some of them are actually south. So I've found that like you, you create something that you think is helpful because you cannot have no guiding framework. But ultimately, if it is not helpful, so no guiding framework, you're stuffed. Dream mm -hmm. bad guiding framework. You're definitely stuffed. Well, with no guiding framework, you might luck it out. Do you know what I mean? Like you might just stumble forward or whatever. You know, it might be a useful idiot or whatever they say, right? Whereas a good framework, you've got a chance of, of making it there. And so to me, like to give you an example, I was just sort of thinking this through. What would I have if I was running a country? Uh, I'm not running a country, obviously, but you can kind of take this down to a microcosm from a kind of, you know, work perspective. Okay. Do you have the number of people wanting to move to your country increasing or decreasing? So you're going to always have some people leaving and some people coming. But as a percentage of your population, do you have an increasing portion of people? Now, I think it's fair to say that like America has not been in the greatest state, you know, for the last 10 years. And it might have been you know, better before that. But they're still building a wall to keep people out. You know, where do people want to go? They're not flocking to try to get into China or to, you know, whatever the Middle East. You know, they're, as many people as possible are trying to get into the West. Uh, and so to me, I'm not saying that we can't improve things. I'm not saying that, you know, some parts haven't been great in the last, you know, whatever, 10 years. 
but you still have if, if, if you know if america would take 100 million people 100 million people would go if australia you know population 26 million people would take 10 million people 10 million people would go right if they let 100 million people leave china 100 million people would leave and there's not going to be 100 million people that go in right so that's that's one mode two then you know you have things like i don't know is overall crime going down stephen pinker wrote a very good book called the better angels of our nature and they track different things like white collar crime violent crime all these other things and so if, for instance if you have crime going up as you had it in certain places you know that's not good do you have corruption going down there are some really good corruption indexes which is i suppose partially white collar crime and those and other things do you have living standards rising so i look at that from two points is your minimum wage rising but also is your average wage rising which is um you know things so if you had all those things happening more people wanted to come to your country's percentage of thing like for instance the people applying for immigration crime going down in multiple aspects as well as the correlation or so corresponding of that being something like corruption living standards rising both at an average income and at a minimum wage it's probably hard to say you're not necessarily doing great um whereas i think you can say well russia's gdp growth has been one percent way lower than the rest of the world right you want all the people leaving there etc cetera, etc cetera, you know protesting and so on so to me there probably are a collection of two to five the most important north metrics or guiding stars that are somewhat objective that you can focus on now how you get them there's no there's no like exact science here but at least there's something it's not like well james says duncan's great you know therefore duncan is great it's like no no, no. is the job that duncan's doing able to be measured in a good way and if you're picking the wrong metrics like my power and my ability to do whatever i want eg xi jinping then you're probably not necessarily helping out with the common good but more your own personal narrow self-interest Okay, so this is really interesting in terms of like, um, you know, nationalistic or geopolitical um, levels of measuring, uh, you know, a an idea which could be Western doctrines of um, democracy. And what are the objective measures to see that that's working or not? And you talk about, you know, wanting the, people wanting to enter the country, um, GDP growth, all of those kind of things. So let's flip that on its head and see, can we think of uh, objective measures from a personal standpoint? Because what we're, I think what we're trying to do here is see like how are we going to better understand the reality around us as an individual? Like you can see how it can be done at the company level to examples of SpaceX, country level to the examples of, um, you know, population, health, density and growth. Um, but what do we think about personal? So um, for me, I'm going to try and think of one aspect and I think it is the number of opposing ideas that I can take on board for any given concept that I want to put forward, whether it's in a relationship, whether it's in business, or whether it's in like um, uh, a negotiation or something like that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I like this. Um, so one of the big differences between the way that I think two years ago and now at work is trying to articulate mm. what I call high resolution destinations or north guiding principles through which you can calibrate trade-offs and the first thing that we try to do is to figure out what this high resolution destination is so that we can understand where we're delivering students to um, at a personal level um this is making it up on the spot so at a country level i just made that one up you know yeah you want more people coming there so um and if you take another company one so as an example like i don't know you want more people applying per job on average so you've got you know this you know you want to be able to have your north metrics for your products so for instance are you improving education more with, with each product right 
you want to be able to see, okay, well, do we have really strong retention with our customers? If we have bad retention, it's not good. Are we, for instance, there's 100% of schools slowly you know, gaining more percentage of schools? So if you told me this is like, cool, we have our metric of what improving education is, it's a state test, and that's about 80% of the problem space. And if we're moving the numbers on that, then we're probably doing good. Cool, that's metric one. Metric two, are we gaining market share? So we go from so for instance, no schools in the US to gaining market share. Two, do we have good retention in those schools? And three, are we having more people applying per job? So for instance, you know, you start off and you're sort of, I don't know, not known at all in the US, um, but then you slowly have people apply. If you had all of those going up or you know, pointing in the right direction, I'd say it's probable that your company is doing well. Um, you know, and yes, of course, you want people to say, well, you know, I, I like the product, you go and speak to them. And yes, I think you do want some happy employees. I mean, you're probably not going to have all happy employees. But if you had those four, and they're relatively objective. Like you can see retention, you can see market share, you can see the state test, you can see the number of people applying. Not relatively, they are. And the collection of those together probably makes it likely that it's hard to believe you're doing a bad job. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'd just do another company level one. Yeah. Any thoughts, James? Um, so I've, I'm going to try and do something different where I'm going to try and take company metrics and see if I can apply them to a personal life. So, well, so if you think of any uh, e-commerce business, one of the one of the primary means of measuring its performance is through the ARG metrics. If you've heard of that, so it's higher metrics, true man. Higher metrics, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah cool. Oh, ah, yeah. yeah. So, so I know what they are. Yeah, attention, acquisition. Oh, sorry, attention, activation, acquisition. Um, I've never heard attention. Hey, revenue and acquisition. Yeah. Referrals, right? So for me. What I said earlier, which is like the number of opposing ideas I can take on board, I think I've gotten one step ahead because I think the first step I need to have is number of interactions that I have on a daily basis with other people. Because if I'm having zero interactions, then I'm just going to be in a completely warped view of the world. Like, you know, if I'm, if I'm a hermit out in the mountains or if I'm just someone who's just intellectualizing something on my own, I'm only going to get stuck in my own individualistic view. So what I want to try and do is I want to maximize, not maybe optimize is the right word. I want to optimize the number of interactions I have on a daily basis with other minds or other people. But then the next step is, it's not that's not the end goal. The next step is, I think, because you and I have spoken in the past, Duncan, like, um, you know, chances are we're wrong about many things in life. Like when we continue to evolve and, and grow over time, we look back on things that we thought previously, we were like, wow, how like inaccurate or um you know not exactly um uh, uh truthful my way of thinking was a, a period of time ago so if we um have the the, the baseline understanding that there is no one there's distorted known and there's unknown the way you think will be in a, a, a mix of all of those three so if i increase my number of interactions with people and then i get a good number of not pushback, but different perspectives per interaction. So if I'm interacting a hundred times a day with different people, you being one of them, Duncan, my partner being another one, my colleague being another one, and I'm getting zero pushback, there might be something wrong. I might've put myself in the situation where I've gone into um, a place where people don't think it's worth telling me their views, or they don't think it's worth telling me um, that my way of thinking is, is not helpful. Uh, and so I can get back into this, um, you know, this corner where I'm not getting useful feedback. 
I would think. So total number of interactions per day and total number of additional inputs per interaction, I think are two potential, just um, uh, like workshopping North Star metrics for an individual to try and get a better uh, understanding of their reality. Interesting. I look at it like a different way. The first thing, because like I literally have not thought about this before. Um, so this is just the first thing to come. Like, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs um, is a good framework, which we haven't talked about as much uh, recently. I know. We've gone cold on it. Yeah, the bottom the bottom level is like psychological and sort of safety needs. Psychological is like air, water, food, shelter, sleep, you know, et cetera. And so I'm just going to re-change this to be like, am I saving money each year? Like my goal is to save money each year, not to get poorer. Um, I don't, you know, want to be the wealthiest person on earth. Or actually, maybe not. Why, why not? You know, um, but I don't, I don't need to be. But like, <laughs> as long as I'm, you know, hopefully I am saving money each year, not spending money, and not not just that. Like I have enough money to satiate, you know, the sort of basic needs. Like, you know, okay, I can feed myself and I can, you know, have a place to live and etc. So to me, that's kind of saving money. And so that's one. Then there's psychological and safety needs. Um, so I don't worry about security living in Australia or, or New York. Um, you know, there are some places. Uh, actually, there are some sketch places in New York. Um, but, you know, um, it, it feels fine to me. The next one is like love and belonging. And so they talk about two categories here. And I'm going to just oversimplify this. You can have 10 people in your life, sort of up to 10. Maybe it's 12, you know, maybe it's eight, but it's probably not 20, where you can know what's going on in their life. And so for me, that's five family like blood family and five you know friend family um and to me there wasn't necessarily many um examples of male because like james you know one of my best friends male male relationships and and sharing you know so the, the master's hierarchy of mateship i talk about is you know you're there in the bad times there's someone to support you to help if you need to discuss and talk some things through and james and i have definitely had chats like that and but that was something that I sort of learned so to me you know, then you also want to share the good times, you know, have a bit of a laugh, you know, whatever else it is, you know, celebrate a win. Um, and so to me, I think that I have 10 really good people in my life and that the quality of each of these relationships goes up each year. So for instance, the set of different things we talk about from supporting each other, from helping each other, from celebrating with each other improves. Um, and so a sort of weird example that my sister having two children has initially bought, I thought they had stolen my sister because she had to, you know, get up all the time and I didn't see her and I couldn't speak to her. But now that they're starting to be a little bit more like walking around and stuff, it's actually a reason to catch up with her more. Anyway, so money going up to good 10 friends and the actual diversity of the type of interactions that you have increasing. Then there's esteem. Um, and I suppose this to me is like how much self, you know, belief do you have, but not in a blind, like I can do anything kind of way in a more, I, I believe that I can make a difference. I call it growth mindset, learn to help yourselfness, whatever else it is. And then the self-actualization layer to me is a combination of helping myself grow, helping my friends grow, but also probably mainly helping a business grow for me, probably 80% of the business side. And that the metrics in a business, sometimes it's like, oh, it's revenue or it's profit. Like, no, for me, those things are needed to, you know, have a business that dies. It needs to be economically viable. But the things that I care about is, am I improving education? And do I have an independent third-party metric for that, which is this? And then, for instance, do you have people at the company that are working that are happy? And I think one of the metrics for that is, for instance, more people applying per job. And then the customers, you're gaining more customers and you're keeping them. And so it's hard to believe that, whereas you can definitely have some companies 
like, I don't know, they're selling more cigarettes or, or they say that you know, social media is the new cigarettes. It's addictive and it's bad for you. So I, I think, frankly, that some of the time that people spend on Instagram is not good for them. Now, I don't, you know, sometimes it is good. Um, so not all companies are good just because, you know, I don't know, you're, you're, you're making lots of money or revenue or profit doesn't make it better. And so for a lot of companies, I think that is the goal. And to me, that is an, an intended second order necessity to keep the lights on, but certainly not the primary goal. You're just trying to make it make sense. So, yeah, I think from that perspective, actually, I probably can measure and say my life on average has gotten better year on year for the last 20 years. So um, I want to make sure we bring it back to the idea of how do we how do we try to ensure that we have the strongest foundation for us to make sure that we can properly understand the reality around us, right? And I really like, as always, um, applying this across to Maslow's hierarchy. I think it's a, it's a, it's a surefire way to get things um, in a really interesting perspective. So, like coming back to your point, Duncan, like you know, how is it important for us to measure at each of these different levels? Because I do think that if your life is at a particular level, a particular set of metrics are all that's important for you to make sure that you're able to navigate reality successfully. So what did that look like at the physiological level? Right, well, like you kind of pointed out, Australia and New York, for better or worse, are generally safe places to live. And they generally have a good social net set up. So that you don't really have to question yourself, am I good at survival <laughs> if I was put out into the wilderness because I fend for myself? So the other way I would look at this is how healthy or how much am I looking after my physical body? Like, do I feel like I am in a healthy state of mind? Do I feel like I have got not any, you know, in, in um, like hindrances based on looking at, uh, after my diet, my physical activity, my amount of sleep, um, and, you know, maybe those are the three main ones. Safety, I don't know off the top of my head, but uh, I'll just go to the next one, which is love, belonging, and then we can talk about esteem. So what I think would be really interesting here is so again what i'm trying to do is figure out do i have a good like basis in reality like and and what are the ways that i can kind of like track for that and so this idea that you talk about you can have between 10 or 20 really close people right whether that's friend or family um i think it's a really good like 10, not 20 in my opinion <laughs> but yeah go on. 10. Oh, well, 10. Let's, well, let's say let's go with 10 right so do i have up to 10 people that I could like reasonably call upon in the the highest or lowest points of my life and rely on them or at least share with them what's happening for me in those points of time. Because I think I would say, you know, if I don't have even one or two, it's very hard for me to get perspective. Because I think for a lot of people, particularly in relationships I found, is when I'm going through hard time, it feels like I'm the like this is unique to me and i'm suffering and you know a, a very very hard um uh, you know period and it's it's unfairly you know it may well be an unfair thing for myself personally but when you speak to other people when you learn from um you know others who have gone you know kind of like before you you realize oh this is not unique to me this is actually quite normal and you get that perspective additionally as well um and so the one I wanted to get to was esteem. And I thought you might find this interesting. So we get back to this idea of success. I think for you to have a good, solid grounding in reality is kind of like the golden ratio. I think you need to have 
number of successes, but I also think you need to have a number of failures in order for you to get that perspective. If all you had in life was successes, I think you would probably most, most likely go off into this very, very distorted egotistical realm. And you would think that you are just like God's gifts on earth. You would get Kanye-fied or something like that. But if you had a number of failures, whether it's five to one, I don't know what the golden ratio would be for success to failures. I think you would be grounded more in reality to know that you know, it's, you're not infallible, but also you know more about where the limits to your capabilities are or where the edges are. Yeah, I would have probably agreed with you one hour ago, but now, now I don't. <laughs> like, I think that you probably can, when I think about it, have somewhat objective third-party measures for the majority of the problem space that you're working on. Mm. And some places, if you're lucky, like SpaceX, 100% of it, right? And so you can look at like a Kantian universal ethic. So you, you can kind of go through and think like this. So to me, if you take Twitter as an example, I think that Elon has a very strong, high-level view of where to go. And if you do on this, just like I think we have we much, much stronger than we had two years ago at Edrolo, very strong ability to articulate what we're trying to do for education. And when I look at other products that are made, I don't believe they have the same high-quality, high-resolution destination or north. They're just trying to do good. But some of it is forward, some of it's backwards, some of it's left, some of it's right. And if you have the high quality destination, then you can actually start to calibrate and your, your win rate can be much higher. So from my understanding, I believe that they are trying to have Twitter reflect the laws of a country or all legal speech, which I think is a better way of saying than free speech because free speech doesn't mean all speech, which I think is what it initially when I heard free speech, I'm like, well, all speech should be free. And then I read the laws. I'm like, no, not, not all speech. You can't incite hate. You can't, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Um, so that and transparency, right? Um, and so to me, Twitter was a black box and they were operating. And when there was no, you know, daylight is the best sun disinfectant, you had certain people believing they knew better. And maybe they did, right? But you know, the best way we've had, so, so you know, open society, Karl Popper, the law is never done as opposed to a closed society, which you know, the law comes from the king or the law comes from like, you know, whatever, the Bible. The laws are meant to update. So we go from, you know, hangings in Pentridge, you know, my parents in the 50s to nobody liked to kill themselves in Australia to be able to have legal euthanasia. That's big time updates. You know, you go from people thinking that you couldn't have a mixed marriage, which they called at the time, like a Catholic and a Protestant, to people not having, you know, um, same-sex marriage to, I think, the concept of marriage being, you know, as a mixed marriage to inter-race marriage to same-sex marriage, right? You know, that's big, big changes. And so to me, I think that we have found a system, the best one we know of, which is to way to have laws which can govern peacefully over people, which is called what liberal democracies have, right? And that people should not be operating unregulated for massive areas such as social media. And so to me, I think they're trying to move it to reflect the laws. And if you want them changed, build, you know, vote the politicians, not the 99, you know, sort of percent money that was donated to, to the, the, the right-leaning party, some left-leaning party from Twitter. So anyways, long story short, I believe that you probably would want, and I think you probably can have, third-party independent metrics. And if you do, that your win rate can be wildly higher. It's not about the win-loss, otherwise if you win everything. Like, no, you can and hopefully do want to win everything. 
But what does winning mean? You've got to define it. If you don't have a definition, then you're probably screwed. Then you're probably going to get high in your own supply. Yeah, so I, I, I agree that you want to increase your win rates. But I think you and I agree that you've got facts and you've got ideas. Um, and let's just stay in the idea space for the sake of argument. Um, I don't think it's fair to say, or I, I think you and I agree to say, like, you can't wholly know something to be true when you're talking about ideas. Like, it, it's kind of like this, what would you say? Well, I mean, like, you, you can look at, like, something like YouTube, where their goal for a while was to get to have a billion uh, hours watched a day. I don't think that's a good goal, North, because any hours, they didn't care, right? Facebook, they just wanted time on site. That's because they built the first growth teams and they were able to outsource to people that are... So mathematics, you can get better at without necessarily, you know, it's just like playing chess, needing morality. And so to me, there was there's an interesting book on YouTube and they tried for a little while to figure out what was good content watching according to this book and what was bad content watching, but they kind of gave up and then they just had this mighty goal of a billion hours watched. And so then the algorithms were just like, keep it on site, right? And some people were able to make good decisions about the time that they spent and some not. Um, so to me, you can't not have a goal. Like your goal can be money. Your goal can be eating people's spare time on Instagram or whatever, right? Um, but some goals are north and some are south. Some goals make the world better. Some goals make the world worse. And so to me, not having a goal or having a crap goal is worse than having a good goal. <laughs> I know this and no one's saying it's actually easy. Well, actually, no, I don't think it's actually hard. I just, you know, capitalism, you know, oh my God, shareholder returns or something. Like, no, that's not what I am focusing on as number one thing. I'm not trying to maximize returns. I'm trying to maximize improvement to education. Um, and I think that some companies have just been maximizing returns and that that probably is not necessarily a good long-term way to improve the world. Or some, you know, politicians like Xi Jinping or whatever, trying to maximize their personal power not maximize the common good. And I just put out some messages before about trying to have some way to understand this. So I do think it's possible to have objective third-party metrics for a majority of the problem space, which will enable you to hopefully make higher quality decisions, significantly higher quality decisions than if you don't. Yeah, I think you and I agree, Duncan, that having goals are important. Like having a direction that you mm -hmm. want to, to head towards, whether it's the right one or not, it's still better than being directionless. Like you said, like, you know, if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. So, like, it's not about whether or not you have a goal. It's about, I would say, accepting that you don't have to know the exact path you need to, to take to get there. And I would say that's got, it, it's embedded a lot in the way in which te technology companies operate today. You know, the notion of agile and what we learned from the way they set up Tesla and how they applied that to a hardware supply chain or, or, or value chain, which is you allow yourself to set up certain experiments because you don't know which one will necessarily work. And so I'm trying to come back to this idea of sometimes I think we have to be willing to fail in the micro in order for us to succeed in the macro. And so I guess what I'm looking for is for me as an individual, when my ego comes online, it wants to be right 100% of the time. It doesn't want to be thought of wrong. It doesn't want to, it will just think to defend. It'll think to um, only um, rationalize why my particular view is, is the right one. 
But myself personally, I don't want to think that way because I feel like every time that I have allowed for my ego to take over, it hasn't worked out well in the short run or the long run. So I'm trying to figure out what is it then that I can try to embed in my own personal life to set myself up for success rather than allow for this thinking that, well, I think I can achieve a state of being where I'm always right or I'm just trying to maximize the number of times that I'm right. As opposed to, I'm trying to create a system, like an anti-fragile one, right? So it's one that increases in capabilities as a result of the number of stresses, shocks, or volatilities that um, occur within the system. So I think there's a, there's a world in which I can say, like, not every, it's not like you must fail before you succeed. It's, for me, it's about, well, how many you know, lessons can I learn through experimentation, one that work, one that don't necessarily work, that adds up toward me moving closer towards my goal does that make sense yeah so the way that i would it's a good point think about this is some goals are positive sum some goals are zero sum it's natural like the world used to be zero sum because you know we didn't have farming you know we, we couldn't you know grow crops in these ages you know hunter gatherer uh, and so a lot of people just want to be right not improve the world mm. so it's standard like you, you go into having a discussion with someone you don't want to come out being wrong you know, whereas to me, if your goal is not, I think it's probably standard, you know, at school, you know, you have debating, you know, you want to get the question right. There's, a, there's an arbitrary right or wrong. It's not when you have a discussion, a positive discussion, what did I learn? And do I want to speak with that person again? And if I learn something, I want to speak to them again, great. Doesn't mean that, you know, I changed my opinion, don't care. You know, does mean I changed their opinion? Not relevant. You know, did, did I learn, right? And so to me, your ego should not be attached to being hopefully right or wrong, but attached to making progress towards your North Star or your high resolution destination, as I term it normally internally at a roller. And without this framework, I've found you can't discuss necessarily, or it's very difficult to discuss in a positive some way with other people. So you're discussing, oh, how do we, what do we do here? And you're like, well, I like this idea. Well, I like that idea. Well, like, cool. They could be both good or bad. I don't know. Which one do we think is going to help us have a higher portion of chance to get towards the high resolution destination? Ah, uh, interesting. Not my idea is better than your idea, which is what it was like three, four years ago. Now it's like explain in a trade-off table which one of these two ideas is more likely to help us make progress towards our high resolution destination. Um, we only have, you know, X number of minutes in a period, so 45 minutes in a US math period. We can't invent time. So if you want to add something, what's getting taken off? And so which of these do you think has a higher return on investment for getting people to our goal? So if your ego is attached to the common good and you have to define the common good in a way that is tangible and as such able to be used to balance trade-offs, then, quote, being right is good and, quote, you can win every time. And this is, I think, maybe the major difference between Elon and others. Elon, for all his companies, I believe, has a very strong view of what North is in a common good perspective. Twitter being a black box and all the moderation decisions not being seen is not good. Twitter being able to make up unilaterally all of their things, not good. Twitter being staffed by 99%, you know, people donating money to the Democratic Party and 1% Republican Party is very unlikely to have a reflection of the roughly 50-50 US base. So we don't make our own rules. We reflect the government. And we do not have a black box 
we have people able to see. Well, if they've been shadow banned, they know, not just they don't know, you know, and a lot of these things get put out. So to me, this is not now it was a left-leaning, you know, administration. Now we're going to have a centrist administration or a right-meaning one, but they operate in the same secrecy. No, they're fundamentally changing the way things happen. So if you are in China, you don't know the laws, you don't know what you're being locked up for. Xi Jinping just unilaterally does whatever he wants. If you're in a liberal democracy, you know the laws. Well, they're there. You know, you can see what there is. There's a, there's a system of recourse. There's, you know, judges, etc. So to me, they're trying to move to that. And that, I think, is hard to argue against. Whether they do a good job of it or not, I don't know. But I think the fundamental system or North is much, much, much better. Mm. So I would, would it be fair to say to take from your um, application of you know, running a successful company requires having a high definition destination, um, or at least that is one way of helping you create um, you know, a successful outcome? Would you think that you would need something similar for your own personal life in terms of having that high definition destination and then being able to apply a set of metrics around that? Yeah, um, just just as I've got to go in five minutes, so we need, we need to kind of like wrap it up here if it's okay. Yeah, I think in an ideal world, it's much better not to. You, you have a high resolution destination or north, whether by default or by design. And for better or worse, in a lot of companies, it's just revenue growth or profit. And that can lead to hours watched on YouTube or time on site for Instagram, right? Which I don't think are acceptable goals. Whereas for, you know, whatever, Tesla, it's moving forward the point of getting to sustainable energy and transport. Whereas for SpaceX, it is, you know, backing up humanity on Mars. And whereas for Twitter, I think it is having a system for public discourse that is as positive as possible and that has a way to update the rules, which is as meritocratic as possible and not as you know, autocratic as possible, or is as you know, democratic as possible and not as autocratic as possible. Um, you know, should, if, if you know, I want to have some people over to my house for dinner, I don't have to invite everyone. You know? <laughs> but if you have an ability to talk to everyone on earth, there probably should be rules. Those rules probably shouldn't be just whatever the person who's running it, like the king of Facebook or the king of, of Twitter feels like. We've seen that those things don't work nearly as well on average as liberal democracies. So the system for creating the rules for a lot of people that we know that is the best is this. So anyways, yeah, can we have this for your own personal life? Yeah, a lot of my life is work and I think I've got north now for that. And I just mentioned the other ones. Well, I, I'd like to be hopefully saving money each year. I'd like to have, you know, good physical health and I'd like to have very good friends which have a spectrum of, you know, will tell me if I'm saying something silly, will support me if I'm down and we'll enjoy together, you know, and hopefully 10 of them and it gets better over time. Um, and that I hope that I'm making progress on myself and in work. Um, and I think the easiest way to make to measure if I'm making progress on myself is whether my friendships are growing stronger each year and is where the work is moving forward. And those are somewhat objective. So to me, amazingly, I think you, you kind of can. And whilst I wasn't, I suppose, as conscious of those metrics, I think that I actually do think I have them roughly as that. What are your thoughts, James, to wrap up? Yeah, so I think this has been um, an insanely interesting you know, journey that we embarked on. So starting off with this idea of, well, what do we need to, um, I guess, uh, better understand the reality around us? And my thinking was, well, if I start at the edges where there are these, um, quote unquote, um, wildly successful individuals who seem to be um, going by the beat of their own drum, but also by appearance of losing their 
grip on reality and how do I work my way backwards? But then I think we very quickly pivoted to the idea of, well, what if we thought of it differently in a sense, can you have objective measures for a subjective idea? And can we look at it at the national level or the country level? Can we look at it at the company level? And then um, almost like by way of experimentation, can we look at it at the personal level, which is where I find it most fascinating. Um, and so I do think that uh, not having thought of objective measures for a subjective idea before this conversation ever, um, I actually do think there are some very useful ways of looking at it. And the Maslow hierarchy, I think, as always, is, is a really good place to start. You know, am I, um, you know, am I in a stable, secure environment? Is my body healthy? Is my mind healthy? Um, do I have a good set of healthy, stable relationships where the number of interactions that I have also are able to propagate a number of, not like pushback, but like alternative views at least, uh, and that I can take those on board as well. And the last one I think for me is, for I believe that to have a good grounding in reality, success I think is necessary, but I also think failures, and they don't have to be like wholesale failures, but at least um, lessons where this doesn't work, but this does, uh, will further, uh, I guess, enhance my awareness and my understanding. Yeah. I agree. I think this has been very good, and, and the premise has shifted from at the beginning of like you know the strongest possible understanding of reality is upon which everything else is built, and to four subjective areas you can have objective metrics that hopefully can cover eighty percent of the problem space, probably not one hundred percent. Some areas you can have objective measures cover one hundred percent, and that doing this enables you to hopefully get your ego to attach to positive some outcomes or you know the common good and not being right. Um, whereas without them, it's hard to not have the default occur, which often leads to, you know, success equaling failure as opposed to success equaling more success. All right, I have another meeting now, James. It's been good. I'll speak to you soon. See you, Bye. Bye.